Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Ah, there we go. Here we go. All right. Cool, Let man. Let me start my... All right, I'm in a car still, so you're going to see me transitioning from one place to another. I just got off of work. It's all good. But, uh, How you doing, how's it man? Going, Chief? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. It's good to good to meet you in person, face to face. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good to uh, get with you. I've heard Brian say so many great things about you, so it's exciting. That's good. He's probably embellishing a little too much, you know. Don't believe everything he nah, says. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> all good. Yeah, man, I'm excited. Uh, I appreciate you uh, taking time. Just to, uh, you know, share some of your evening at the uh, like hours. Yeah, um, I guess I'll just uh, I'll just jump right in then, because uh, yeah, um, yeah. Let me know. So, what are we what are we rapping about today, man? So, uh, I wish I would send you the uh, the website. I just put up a landing page. Um, okay. But essentially, this this is a uh, an effort to influence people. Um, okay. People who were probably in both of our shoes, um, either right now or, you know, recently in the last four or five years, I'm thinking like right. middle school students, high school students, college students, even, even, uh, current, uh, college students. Um, right. but this is uh, the central sort of theme is, um, who you become is intrinsically tied to what you believe is possible. Okay. All right. I definitely hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other pieces, there's there's some sort of, uh, I guess, themes or, or uh, uh, yeah, I'll call them themes that that go along with that idea. But uh, okay. I'll send you. I can send it to you after this. That's probably not the best way to do it. But uh, I just like let's just start with uh, um, who you are, where you're from. Um, I'm yeah. I'm interviewing you. Okay. So, first last name Brendan Mitchell, um, from Cleveland. Lived in Cleveland since '95. So I moved to Cleveland in '95 uh, with my family, obviously, uh, and was there all the way through 2006. That's when I went to college, headed to Northwestern University. That's 2006 through 2010. Um, went there for the purpose of being a student athlete, had a few other offers, you know, that's great. Ultimately settled on Northwestern and uh, majored in communications. Uh, in high school, I actually went to a boarding school. Um, parents sent me there, uh, got a nice offer, uh, not just, you know, getting accepted into school, but the financial aid was A1 and uh, it was a good opportunity. They sent me off, you know, whole new environment. Um, was great for me. Uh, had a lot of fun there. It was a great intro to get ready for college. And then, like I said, went to Northwestern. Did my thing there for four years, graduated. And then kind of, when I say kind of, I mean really, didn't know what I was going to do after that. Um, I really had, we'll, we'll call it like paralysis. Um because my whole life I was an athlete, right? So right. I went from being a guy who was a standout athlete, a guy who um, immersed himself in athletics, period. So working out, practicing, seven on seven. Uh, you know, if it's not football, and running routes, you know, catching passes. If it's not football, I'm, I'm doing basketball. Uh, you know, it's always just preparing to, to compete again. 
And again, once I graduated, I was just lost. I uh, didn't really have a great idea about how to build a resume. Didn't have a great idea about what my skill set was and what I could turn it into. Um, didn't have a great idea about how I was going to transition from a student to a full-time working uh, guy who is making a living on his own and all the other things you have to do as an adult. So I'm out here, 21 years old, uh, you know, graduated, had a degree in hand, but no plan. Right. And what I heard my whole life was, oh, yeah, you play football for Northwestern, like, take advantage of that. Uh, make sure you network, um, you know, build your resume, get experience. But no one ever broke down how to go about it because the priority was sports. So all these things I had to kind of learn on my own. Um, ultimately lived in Chicago for a year after I graduated. So, um, you know, stayed out there with one of my friends. Uh, his wedding is actually coming up on the 21st. I'm best man at his wedding. Uh, you know, it's basically my brother. I'm sitting here talking about friends and got my feet wet with a couple things, but still didn't quite get to what I wanted to get to. Dabbled in sales, dabbled in a little customer service type work. Uh, but ultimately got word from well, my family uh, and my uncle that, you know, hey, you should come over here and train with my uh, group. Um, you know, he's a, a vendor, an IT um, consulting staff is what he runs. So getting people ready through boot camp and other procedures that will help them be able to go onto the job and perform as developers or business analysts. Uh, between that, I actually also was, uh, when I went home to get ready to do this training, I actually delayed it a bit because I was working at the Ginn Academy. It's on the east side of Cleveland. Uh, it's a charter school. Oh. And I was actually really caught up and loving helping these young kids from the city who had maybe a little less direction than I had, who had maybe a little less vision about what was possible than I had, uh, you know, get through some of the tougher times in high school and see ultimately where they wanted to get to. Um, I think it helped that I was young at the time. I was like 22. Uh, I just came from where they were, you know, more or less. They connected with me because we were all young in a sense, even though they were much younger than me and I was much younger than the people I was working with. It was good for me to be around them and good for them to be around me. So I actually thought, hey, I'll go ahead and be an educator. And then uh, when I realized that getting to the money portion of everything would take a little longer, I decided, okay, I am actually going to take my uncle up on the IT uh, offer, go train, and then get placed uh, as soon as possible. So that's how I was looking for me as far as how I got to where I am now. Um, a lot of little things in between, more detailed things that, you know, obviously – might come up as we go forward that's yeah. the general overview of me from 95 until oh well 2011 yeah okay yeah that's a that's an interesting journey i like it um yeah it was a lot it was a lot of good stuff so boarding school that started the uh, high school that was yeah that was oh two so 2002 uh well 2001 let's start there my parents saw that I had uh, some promise. I, I, I'm not a dumb kid. You know, I was, I was, uh, I was a, a troublemaker because I got ahead of the class where I was. So I, oh, yeah. we were reading together. I'm going to read ahead and then, you know, break out uh, doing something funny to distract the class in <laughs> 20 minutes later. 
Um, you know, I'm a, I'm an athlete. So, you know, we're all running around even in eighth grade, just acting like a, a gang of, of jocks, if, if I may. Uh, so, you know, really just my parents seeing me uh, causing a little trouble, need a little more structure, the athletics where I'm from, uh, the programs were, uh, run by coaches who didn't have the team's best interest in mind, not even the kids' best interest in mind, a little more political, a little more of a who's who, who knows who they're going to start, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they wanted to get me out of that environment, um, and they did. So they sent me off to this, this school. Uh, the town, it's like it's south of me, south of us by like 20 minutes. It's a little, very affluent town called Hudson. There's not a lot of black people there. Um, there's not a lot of, uh, non-white people there. There's zero poor people in Hudson. And, uh, this school that I went to was full of kids, uh, in that same type of boat. And those are the day students. And then the boarding school kid, uh, boarding students, like I was, were mostly affluent kids from other places. And I'm talking about whether that be from, uh, South Korea, um, or as far as, you know, Southern California. Um, and everywhere in between, you know, Germany and all type of places. So, um, good for me to be in that different environment because I'm coming from a more of a balanced, mixed environment, uh, in my hometown. Um, I learned a lot of things about myself, about other people, about, uh, classism, <laughs> about, you know, how classism ties into racism and how to maneuver around those things on my own, right? Cause I'm not coming home every night. Uh, you endure things and then you go back to the dorm and you got to see some of these people 20 minutes later. Um, you know, rules and things like that. There were school rules, but, you know, peer to peer, we kind of had our own rules and we governed ourselves because that's all we had was us on this campus. And there were teachers around and whatnot, and that's cool. But it's just a different set of rules you kind of play by. And there's a different set of things you also learn when you go off to a boarding school, even though it wasn't that far away. But I'm washing my own clothes. I'm managing my own time. Um, I'm, I'm learning how to write a whole research paper on my own, more or less. I'm learning how to uh, be in-depth and solve problems and be in-depth to, um, you know, write whole papers with this big thesis and prove out things. And a lot of things that people, even in college, didn't learn in high school, we were, we were going through it on top of the boarding school experience, which is, you know, become more independent and all those things in between. So it was cool. And, um, again, my, I applied, my, my parents were like, Hey, if they offer you financial aid, cause you know, we needed it. And, uh, you know, they, they give you an opportunity to get in we're, we're going to send you there. It's the best opportunity they did. Um, I was able to excel again on the field and uh, use those four years wisely and, you know, soak up as much as I could. So, it was fun. Um, definitely like diet college. That's what I call it. You know, you, you get a fit. You, like you can't have like, there's no girls in the, the boys dorm rooms. There's no boys in the girls dorm room. That's like advanced, right? That's college type stuff. Um, but you know, when you're dealing with uh, 14 through 18 year olds, right? You got a different set of rules again. Uh, but it did do a lot of good things for me. And I, I actually appreciate the fact that I went there. It was one of the best things to ever happen. It's the best decision my parents ever made. Cause I didn't want to leave all my friends and whatnot, but they saw the vision. They knew what was beyond just where I was from. So it worked out well. Man, that's huge. Yeah. That's uh 
that sounds like a, a pretty significant move in at least in your your timeline so what what was uh i'd like to kind of rewind a little bit mm -hmm, just, mm -hmm. you know how to like as, as comfortable as you are sharing but uh mm -hmm. What was the what was childhood like with the with parents at home um, expectations was, all those things? It was cool. Uh, well, okay, let me give you the, the rundown on that. So uh, we moved a lot up front because my dad was getting you know new jobs and in different domains. So he was a uh, he did different things in like the uh, with different food companies. So he worked for like ConAgra and Coca Cola and Jimmy Dean and Nestle. You know some pretty big names in the industry. And my mom, she was working for U.S. Airways. Uh, she was working in the VIP club. And, you know, as far as, like, the standards they held me to, it was always high uh, as far as, you know, being disciplined about what you do and getting your work done. And we were actually kind of, um, <laughs> like, again, viewed as, you know, kind of a stand-up family in, in the town I was from. But it, when 9-11 hit, it was like a lot of things came came crashing down on us for real, if, if I may. Uh, my dad somehow, uh, bad luck, his pericardium started acting up. He had to get heart surgery. And that kind of, you know, took it out of him for a while. Like his lungs were filling up with fluid. All type of crazy stuff was happening because his pericardium was messed up. And then my mom, uh, because 9-11 went down, you know, the, the airline industry changed a lot and they ended up shutting down the U.S. Airways VIP clubs was one of the things that ended up happening, um, whether it was directly or indirectly as a result of 9-11. Um, so that happened. She was laid off after so many years of working. So she had to rediscover what her career was going to be. My dad was out of commission. Uh, you know, we were uh, we went from I'm not going to say affluent, but, you know, we never had to worry about bills and things like that to. All of a sudden, just like that, um, 2000, my dad had his heart issue, 01, uh, layoff for my mom. So seventh, eighth grade, things just started changing. I still had the same standards set for me as far as you need to accomplish, um, you know, or you need to achieve at a high level. We're not going to let you off the hook on your grades and things like that. Um, that's the foundation. you got to create good habits now. But I remember the one thing that changed was um, – me having my eyes open to what it was like when things are not, you know, when you're not, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, okay, let me put it like this. Uh, everything is, is peachy when stuff is like on the Bill Cosby show and you're like the Huxtables. That's all good, right? But I got also, luckily, fortunately, now I got the other side of that, which was you're not able to just get <laughs> what you want when you want. Um, you know, we have to sacrifice. Uh, my mom had to work extra hours because she was going to go to nursing school so she could, again, pivot her career. And she also wanted to continue working for U.S. Airways at the ticket counter so she could get her retirement benefits that you get after like like 24 years or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, she had put so much time in, she didn't see the, the reason to stop now and not get those benefits. Um, so having to see that, having to help um, you know, having to work with my sister a little more because my parents had a little less time, uh, having to, you know, even just mentally step into uh, more of a uh, mature role as a man because my dad wasn't as, as strong and, you know, couldn't get around as easy after having that surgery. You know, he had to build himself back up. So it was definitely a, a whole shift in my family 
in my mind. And I'm actually grateful on the other side that I went through that because I understand the uh, advantage of having certain privileges uh, in a sense, right? I, I understand um, how good can turn to really tough, good times can turn to tough times in an instant. Um, you know, I understand that there's good and bad habits uh, that, you know, are, are followed with these, you know, tough times or good times and vice versa. It, my, my, you know, my childhood was so dynamic because of money, kind of, uh, that it painted a nice picture for me. And then going off to, again, that boarding school right after that and seeing how really rich people live, um, that was interesting for me, too, because, man, you want to talk about some wild stuff that I saw, like, that's privilege right there. And that's, you know, <laughs> when you have a kid driving a Mercedes from his house to a parking lot that's further away uh, than his house is to the school just so he can drive his car, uh, that's, you know, that's when you're talking about some real showy type stuff that I never understood. But it all shaped me and gave me good perspective. And, you know, the expectation, regardless of how we were doing financially, was always treat people the right way. No one cares about what you wear. No one cares about what car you drive. No one cares about any of that. It's all about how you make people feel. That was always something my parents told me. Um, doesn't matter what else you have. If you don't have the ability to make people feel good about themselves and you don't feel good about yourself, then it's a wrap. You know, you're, <laughs> you're not going to go as far as you want to or need to, to be, you know, successful in life. Um, so I, I try to keep that in the front of my mind and, uh, it, it's paid off paid off for sure yeah that's great so it sounds like having all that stuff happen i guess uh that was right 2001 yeah right so like 2000 yeah so 2000 is when my dad uh, his heart started to you know act up and then oh one like a year later um that's when my mom was laid off okay so, so yeah. did that change your uh did that change your sort of mindset going into uh boarding school i mean what did you have maybe more of a, a serious, despite what was going on, you know, absolutely. motivation. Absolutely. Because I knew that, you know, the only way I could help now was by being successful. And in my case, it was actually on the field um, where I strive yeah. to be successful because for me, I saw that as my greatest opportunity. I'm not a brainiac, you know, um, that, that's not my thing. Um, like I said, I was smart enough to read ahead and then act, you know, act like a, a young clown in class, but I wasn't uh, just knock down, drag out, you know, can solve any problem, AP calculus smart. No. So my greatest opportunity was in the field and I put a lot of work in to make sure that what my standard of success would be and, you know, what I knew my parents would appreciate was me getting a scholarship. So, for me, I dedicated a good amount to education and I wanted to learn and I wanted to be a great public speaker and a great writer. I really did. And I, I committed to that and I'm, I'm pretty good. But I knew the real opportunity was saving my parents, you know, $25,000, $30,000 a year and making sure that I go to college for free. Uh, so my mindset going to school was show out every chance you get when it's time to perform. Um, because you're going to have an opportunity to get a scholarship. And we played a variety of opponents. And ultimately what I ended up having to do was get with uh, a coach from the east side of Cleveland. Again, Coach Ginn, 
um, you know, and, and he helped me shape the rest of my career so I could ultimately get that scholarship, um, you know, and go to college where I, where I ended up going Northwestern. What's the, uh, I'd like to hear more about this coach. What's the, uh, okay. So Co- influence you? coach again. Uh, okay. So at, at reserve Western reserve Academy is in my boarding school. And, you know, people knew I was talented and people um, understood that I could play and whatnot, but a lot of kids didn't necessarily just go division, division one schools like that from there. It's a smaller school. Um, and while we do play a variety of, of competition and talent, it wasn't just a, a hotbed for great athletes. So coach Ginn, what he did was uh, get me, he, he knew my dad. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Ted Ginn. Um, Ted Ginn Jr., was a great standout player for Ohio State uh, and still plays in the NFL. Uh, played for a number of teams. Um, real speedster, uh, great football player. His dad is well-known. Um, it was in Cleveland, and, and then it uh, turned into more of a nationwide deal. But for his expertise on the football field and his ability to motivate kids, um, even though they're not necessarily in the best situation, uh, financially, socially, it's a rough neighborhood. He's able to instill the type of confidence and make the type of moves that gets these kids scholarship offers as well. Um, what he saw on me was a kid who had a lot of talent who ne- wasn't necessarily at the school where, you know, recruiters were going to come and check out talent. He took me, instilled the confidence I needed to know I could play division one, um, which I thought I could, but you know, he, he stamped it. And then he helped uh, get me scholarship offers. I went out on a, a bus tour Myself, uh, some kids from another school, and a bunch of kids from Glenville. That's the the school on the east side that he coached at. We toured in a week, maybe 10 days. We did like eight football camps in 10 days. And, yeah, and and he set it up. So it was all like, you know, you go to these football camps, and usually when you go as an attendant, um, it's hard to get that, that, that buzz going for yourself. So what he did was he said, I have all these talented kids and they might not be able to cut through, but I know uh, they're all just talented, if not more talented than the top guys in the state, maybe even the country. So I'm going to make my own private bus tour. He had so much credibility with these college coaches that they said, yeah, we're going to give you the time. If you say these kids can play, we're going to check them out and we'll, we'll do it privately. So you're not mixed in with 150 other kids. It was myself and like, you know, 30 other kids, right? It's just a bus full. And we got to perform for all these college coaches, run 40s, do shuttles, uh, run routes, catch balls. And ultimately, he advocated for me so heavy um, because of my background, you know, having a good head on my shoulders uh, and then my ability to play. It Some of the, the schools I got offers from, it only made sense. So, you know, Northwestern was one of those schools. And again, just can't, can't really, really can't thank them enough, right? Because uh, while some of my coaches, again, they, they knew I could play, they just didn't have that same vision for me that him and my dad did. So I, I definitely credit a lot to, you know, to him. And that's actually where I ended up going back and volunteering my time when I said, okay, I kind of want to be in education. It was at the Ginn Academy. He ultimately ended up creating a, a charter school to further his effort to help develop young men Man. and taking kids from Glenville that he could get them into the charter school. You can still play football with us. That's all great. Um, but, you know, we're going to branch out a little more in the education 
and the, the way that we develop people is going to extend itself into the everyday, you know, classroom. So it's, it's, it, it was good for me. It was good for me to be around that environment, uh, that competition, um, and having a guy like him advocate for me was a big deal, a, a huge deal. Because when Coach Ginn says something, he means it. So he would say, you know, he would tell me, like, no one knows you. Don't worry about it. Go line up over there. Catch some balls. By the time we're done, you're going to have an offer, if not close to it. And lo and behold, every time, or almost every time, it worked out. Man, you know. what, is, what, is that, what does that feel like to have that uh, sort of um, blessing or, or kind of, you know, approval for somebody who's actually uh, a uh, um, a reputable figure, somebody who has a, a name like that. Um, right. I mean, how much does that give you a boost in terms it was, of it was, confidence? It was huge. Yeah, yeah it was huge. Because these are all kids who are going to go to Ohio State and Wisconsin and, you know, Michigan State and Michigan. Yeah. I'm like, I, at first, you know, now I know what it's called officially. They call it like imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. So – I, I stepped on this bus. I'm seeing all these, you know, dudes are the same size as me, faster than me, maybe stronger than me, maybe not, who knows, but they're all just like me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn, I'm really, okay, I got to go out here and hang and do my thing. And him saying, I know you can uh, come out here and compete with the best of the best, it, it gave me the confidence I needed to uh, approach it with, you know, the right, the right mindset. Um, without that confidence and that stamp from him, I'm, I'm still walking around with imposter syndrome probably. Um, so that, that, you know, the other piece was, uh, it, it helped with the, with just being on the bus with all these kids who were, uh, going to school in Glenville. Cause they knew me as this kid come from this prep school and, you know, I'm not supposed to be on the bus. I'm not supposed to be competing with them, but, uh, you know, by the end of the, those 10 days, that was all different. Right. That was it was completely changed. Um, you know, so again, it helped me with the coaches. It helped me within myself and it helped me with my peers, uh, having him stamp me like that. I, I really can't thank him enough. I actually got to, got to do something nice for him this holiday season. I was sitting there talking about it because that all led to, to great things for me. Yeah. That sounds worthwhile, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I mean, you've pretty much talked about, like the majority of of the central themes that I I like to uh, point to, um, mm-hmm. one being that mindset really changes what uh, what you what you end up doing, what you think is possible, yep. what you even yep. you know try. Yep. But also that uh, environment, who you surround yourself with, uh, how much pressure, suffering, mm-hmm. learning, whatever, it all comes from challenge, right? I mean, yep. Yep. Your environment. Yeah, I'm really, glad. Yeah. Yeah. And you've had multiple, I mean, both on the field and with academics. I mean, being with that group of, of people, I mean, how did that uh how did that shape your experience when you got to college when you finally, you know, made it, that transition? So being with going from the boarding school environment to college, right? Is that what you're talking? It made it a lot easier on me. Um so it was good, actually. So let, let, I'll break it down into two pieces. So being able to – that 10-day bus trip before my senior year was huge because it taught me how to be around – what it was going to be like when I was around other guys who were like me and were athletic and confident and, you know, knew they were there for a reason. 
and you know uh even just how you gel with you know a group of you know in, in high school there's uh you're up the few alphas right as far as athletic goes athletics go and then you have you know the rest of the guys who fill in and do their thing once you step up to that next level everyone was the alpha dog and you gotta you know work through that dynamic so it taught me that but then the four years at boarding school taught me how to deal with <laughs> the kids who didn't have to fight for a scholarship it taught me how to deal with the kids who didn't necessarily have to get good grades uh, or any of that because they were just going to go work at their dad's company when it was all said and done. Mm. It taught me how to deal with uh, outright racism because people think they're better than you. It taught me how to deal with backhanded racism because people think they're better than you. It taught me how to uh, deal with actual adults because we had, again, teachers and staff living very near camp, very much close to campus. So you become integrated with their lives, kind of, and you learn how to converse at a dinner table. You learn how to, uh, you know, watch kids because they're going to ask you to babysit, right? You learn all these different things that are going to help you prepare for life. Um, so I was prepared for sports well. I was prepared for life well. And then with my family, like I said, I went through the, what I, what I call, you know, jokingly the Huxtable era. Me and my friends actually joke around about it because they too, they remember how it went from, you know, everything was all good just a week ago to like, dang, stuff's a little hot. And, uh, you know, that was good for me too. Cause like I, like I mentioned, uh, growing up with just being surrounded by privilege, um, the privilege of having money in this case, or two working parents who were able to afford certain things. Um, I realized like the value of a dollar. I realized how hard it is to make money, how hard it is to save money the the right and wrong way to go about certain things my parents as we were going through it actively would tell me about the mistakes they made so they never held back you know they would tell me like we want you to hear this and and learn this so while we're going through it you don't have to go through this. um you know better on the back end than, than we knew uh you know my dad he grew up in detroit um father barely present um mom was always working he had it was him he's the youngest of four siblings and athletics was his way out my mom she's actually from india <laughs> so she came over got her education here um ended up not being a doctor or engineer which was her parents expectation didn't marry an indian guy which is her parents expectation she married a black guy and her parents didn't talk to her for two years after that because they were so upset. So they went through adversity and, you know, they paid their dues. So, you know, we could level up a little bit. And I'm, I'm really proud of them and happy that I was able to experience that. But then just as much on the other side, I'm happy that we went through some tough times ourselves because I was able to see the way you work through those. And then more than that, I'm grateful that they were both present knowing that it's hard to be a kid coming from India, right? And coming here and your parents are, uh, you know, not from America and you only have seven bucks in your pocket and you go through those things and, you know, you, you level yourself up that way. Right. And then my dad leveled himself up. Uh, he used athletics to get himself out of the situation he was in. He was always present for me because his dad wasn't always present for him. So, you know, those are all things that they work through and learn. And then, 
you know, I'm sure that when I have a kid, there's going to be some things that I take away from my parents teaching me, but then I'm going to fall short too. So I'm going to have to teach them how to bounce back. Um, but overall that don't quit mentality that, you know, even when you're down, you're never out, um, you know, learning how to work with a whole variety of people. This all is a product of, you know, where I come from and whatnot. So even when I got into to work and I took my uncle up on that offer, uh, this will probably be kind of interesting to you too. Um, I went through all that stuff. So I went through, you know, being kind of doubted in high school. Can he play D1 to getting the stamp? Yes, he can. Then, you know, went through college, um, you know, had to fight for my position every year and, you know, do my thing. So I could compete out on the field ultimately. Didn't quit. Really grew to kind of hate football <laughs> a little bit because I had a, a desire and a thirst to do more, actually. The student athlete tag is overblown. You're an athlete first, then you're a student. Um, if I didn't watch film because I was writing a paper, that was going to be a problem. And if I didn't write a paper because I had to watch film, that's going to be a problem too at Northwestern because they don't just hand you grades at Northwestern. You got to work. Um, but having to balance that and having to fight through that, you know, I, I, I say I grew to hate football. I love the scholarship, but I had a thirst to do more. I wanted to study abroad. I wanted to do those type of things, but I had to sacrifice. And I knew that if I didn't sacrifice that I wouldn't be in school with the scholarship. I'd be at community college at Tri-C back in Ohio. Um, and, and I didn't want that for myself. Uh, so when I, when I got into the actual working world, took my uncle up on that offer, uh, I had to fight to learn how to, you know, be a BA and, and understand uh, what that took. Then I had to pass the test to get certified. I had to fight for that. Ended up getting a 90%. Got on the job. Didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest, because um, I thought I knew. But just training won't give you the day-to-day, -day, right? right? So I move, out to, I move out to Jersey. I had to drive an hour and a half one way just to get to, my, to where I was going to be because I was living in my friend's spot. I didn't have any money. So I'm driving 90 minutes from Trenton all the way to Franklin Lakes near New York. Uh, just to work. It's two hours, two and a half hours back. But all I wanted to do was prove myself and prove that, you know, me not quitting and sticking with it can get me to the next level because it always had. Right. So how, how am I going to turn my back on myself now? Um, I've been don't quit and fight through all the through all the BS, through all the ups and downs of my family, all the ups and downs of boarding school, college. Like I can't quit now. And, uh, you know, not quitting, seeing it through, soaking up everything I could. Now I got to say that I'm, I actually feel right now at the age of 30 that I'm starting to step into what success is starting to feel like, right? Like I feel as stable as I ever have. Um, I feel like I'm, I've, I have a lot of expertise in my specific field. Um, you know, I'm a scrum master now. Had to make that transition. I'm able to identify opportunities for myself. Becoming a scrum master uh, from a business analyst was one of those things. So making that transition because I understood what my talent was. And I understood where my strength lies, um, you know, and, and having and being real about that and then attacking it with everything I have. All just a matter of, you know, how I was raised and, and where I came from. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, much like I thought I was going to be a basketball player <laughs> at one point, but I'm really only 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, I'm not that quick, <laughs> you know, so I'm not going to be. How, how am I going to go guard Steph Curry, a, a guy that, you know, that type of quickness, that type of elite level, you know, skill set on the basketball court 
that wasn't where it was at. So for me, I had to pivot. I had to do football. You know, they, they knew that it was going to be uh, a good opportunity for me. So same here. I'm not a good business analyst. I just wasn't good at it. Um, you know, I, it, it involved working with people less. I wanted to work with people more. Uh, it was more um, requirements-based, not as much process-based. I wanted to be more on the process side. So I identified the opportunity, you know, left, uh, and, and now I'm here. And I, I had about mm, a year and nine months, almost two years of Scrum Master experience. Uh, got laid off from UHG. And my wife now, she was like, don't worry about it. Let's just get your resume together and get it back out the door. We did. Nike called. And I uh, had a phone interview with them uh, to be, become a Scrum Master. I thought I did a terrible job. Uh, ended up, they ended up liking me a little bit, though. So I was in L.A. at this point. This is two years ago. I'm in L.A. And I'm like, dang, they actually want me to, to come up, you know, and take an interview or take it on, uh, uh, you know, virtual like this. <laughs> I said, no, nah, screw that. I got to make the drive. So I drove 16 hours from L.A. to Portland because I wanted to be face-to-face and in person you know, so you can really feel my energy and feel, you know, who I am. And, you know, I can show this kind of presence I would have in a meeting room. And once I got that opportunity again, I had to attack it. Uh, drove the 16, uh, destroyed the interview, did a great job. And, and luckily got my opportunity, you know, came here again, realized that I'm not that great of a scrum master, at least versus what I am now. So again, had to attack it full force, relearn my fund, go back to basics, relearn the fundamentals, understand how the fundamentals apply to what I'm doing now at Nike, understand how I can push the needle and, and make everyone better, not just, not just myself. How can I be a better leader? How can I, you know, be a better uh, persuader of people? All these things. Um, but without all these other foundational building blocks, I would have quit when they said you had to drive 90 minutes just to go to work in Jersey. You know, no. That that just wasn't going to cut it for me though. I'd never quit before. I'm not going to quit now. So, yeah, man, sounds like you uh, you learned to uh, hustle early on. So that uh, doesn't seem like something sure. you'll lose for a while. Yeah, and and I'm still trying to get better too. So that like I'm really looking forward to 30 through 40 because I have a lot of things under control now mentally. Right, like I, I know how to attack things. And then I have the maturity, I think, to uh, execute. Uh, sometimes knowing how and then executing don't always meet. But having the maturity to execute and then having a good head on your shoulders to plan, um, that's something I've, I've luckily developed. So I'm excited for 30 through 40 because I want to see what I can do over the next decade. Man, I really appreciate your time, man. It's, uh, oh, of course, of course. It's cool to hear somebody else's story. Uh, it's a uh, your your journey has been way different than mine, but uh, I see a lot of uh, a lot of the core sort of uh, needed uh, um, theories and practice, and you know, environments absolutely one of them. Your perspective yeah. or your mindset going into things is, is another one. But uh, you yeah. touched on that the idea of feeling like an imposter, or like you don't belong, you know, and then mm-hmm. getting both the results and even the affirmation from somebody who's a, a credible source. That's, that's huge. But yeah. it yeah, sounds like, it, you, it sounds like you've got a, a really um, solid foundation for a lot of things, man. Like uh, even the fact that you, you talked about being kind of in a way grateful for uh, where you're at now based on seeing yeah. how bad things can get 
just you know in the house and yeah just, uh, it was tough i mean at the worst of, at the worst of the worst and you know i'm willing to be transparent about like when it was at the worst it was when money was causing my parents marital issues you know what i'm saying and it was when um like we had to declare well not we i guess not me but like my family we declared bankruptcy you know what i'm saying because we couldn't keep up with what we're going down and that just put a big dent in everybody you know everybody's confidence especially my parents i remember like one two years in a row um, you know christmas which was something they took as parents you know you got to take pride in like the christmas time right like yeah santa might have delivered those gifts but you know <laughs> they know who it was you know how it is, right mm-hmm. so as a parent when that time comes around you want to really go out with a bang for for that year and like two years in a row it just uh wasn't as robust as they would have wanted it to be right but um and that took a, a big toll on them but luckily they raised us the right way so you know when they were talking to us about what's going on the focus wasn't on the gifts that they weren't able to get us it wasn't about what they could and couldn't do for us it was more about you know well how can myself and even my sister like what do we got to do to help keep this thing pushing to help y'all feel like hey, this really is okay, yeah. you know? Um, we're not worried about gifts. We're worried about the roof. We're worried about, you know, all of us. Are we Are we still moving as a unit? Things like that. And it was up and down, you know? Like, obviously, I just said, like, marital problems and things that happen when these situations present themselves. But again, you got to fight. You, you can't just quit and just give up like that, right? You can't just give up because the bank is tight. You can't just give up because you got to drive an hour and a half to work. Or, you know, you have to uh, compete with the best of the best to get a scholarship. Like, that's not, that's no reason to quit. No, you got to turn over every stone. You got to exhaust every option um, before you decide to strategically step away. But just quitting, you gotta, that's not going to work. That's never going to work. Not an option, huh? Not an option, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'll, because uh, I appreciate your time, I'll, uh, I'll close with uh, some questions I stole from um, inside the actor studio, and he still and then, sounds like he stole it from Bernard Cravot, some French. Okay. And then, and then before you ask, I want to make sure we get another time soon, so I can hear your end too. I would love you know. to share my story. Yeah, I was going to tell yeah. you I'd love to share, share my story. I think you'd find uh, find it interesting, even the parallel. I, I, I need to know. I need okay. to know, and and I actually want to do that in person. Yes, uh, man. So Let's continue, make it continue the connection, right? I, I don't want to get get the whole rundown now, right? Like when you walk into a restaurant, you got to save a little conversation for the table. You know, you meet <laughs> people outside. Yeah, you know, like don't tell me too much. We got to save some combo for the table. So when we get together, I want to hear the, the other side. Yeah, but, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt your questions. I love to. No, it's fine. It's it's a. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, what's your starts with? What's your favorite word? My favorite word has got to be confidence. You gotta be confident. To the you gotta approach everything you do with confidence. Um, like even when I didn't have all the skills I needed to uh, perform in Jersey when I first started working, I, I had to approach it with confidence. Uh, when I was dabbling in sales and dabbling in education, um, I, I approached it with confidence, and that's why I, well, I, I didn't really do great at sales. But uh, the the educational piece, you know, even though I wasn't an educator. I knew what I knew, and I knew how to connect with people. So I leveraged that. So I'm going to go with confidence. Perfect. Um, yeah, I got to do it. 
Side question, what, so what, where does the confidence come from? Is it something you uh, intrinsically have? You got to make it up? You just try it? Uh, I think either, I think it's two things. So it can come from uh, preparation, right? So I prepared so well that I'm confident executing whatever I have to execute because I've done it, I've seen it, all that. But then the other side comes from um, within yourself which is even if I don't know what I'm about to step into, I'm going to leverage these skills, which are my strongest assets, and I'm just going to go full force. And even if I'm wrong, I'm going to make the mistake at 200 miles per hour. So if they're like, yeah, he was wrong, but well, I'll tell you what, he looked good doing it. <laughs> you know, let's give him another shot. And if we can just point him this way instead of that way, then he's going to hit the mark. So I think it's a, it's a two-part thing. And if you can – combine both of those and you're golden but if you can at least leverage one of those sides then you know your confidence should follow and it should follow in the right way some golden nuggets i hope hope people can hear those hear those <laughs> okay what's your least favorite word mm. my least favorite word let's see I, I i'm gonna say i'm gonna say uh quitter or like quitting you know something like that I got to I got to keep going off of that because, you know, I hate the cliche, but it's true. Uh, quitters never win and winners never quit. Um, you know, so if, if you uh, if you get knocked down, you got to get back up. And even if you, you know, change when you get back up, OK, how you're attacking the deal. That's cool. But don't stay down on the mat because <laughs> you can't get anything done from on the mat. So, you know, anything related to quitting or, you know, I can't, you know, stuff like that, I can't rock with that. I love it. Uh, what is your what is your biggest failure and um, what did you learn from it? Um, okay, so actually I would say that my biggest failure was – not not deciding what I was going to give everything to when I was in college, whether it was going to be academics or athletics. Um, it was my biggest failure because I could have excelled in either of those directions, but I kind of floundered in between them. Um, Cause again, uh, we'll, we'll, when I, we'll get more into my love hate relationship, but I told you I wanted to be a student athlete, right? Um, I was just so caught up in, in all the, the BS that comes with being a student athlete. I didn't decide like, do I want to be a student or an athlete? Um, ideally what I would have done is worked hard, stayed on the team. And I'm, I'm just, you know, you retrospect on it, stayed on the team, been a great teammate, but I would have immersed myself in the college experience a little more. Uh, cause I think I missed out on a lot of opportunities to do the things that they told us to do, network, build your skill set, all that, but I never had the opportunity to do. So if you're going to do something, pick the, the side and go all, go all out. Because I, I do really think that if I would have worked out harder, um, I could have been in, in the NFL probably. I think if I would have studied and networked and interned, and all that harder, I wouldn't have had to go through some of the career struggles out the gate that I did when I graduated from college. Um, 
because, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's tough to not be all in on something when you're trying to create a path for yourself. So, uh, you know, it, it, it was a failure worth failing at because when you look back at it, it's like, man, I got to choose and I got to go. Time's not, time's not waiting. And the window of opportunity is like this big on a lot of things. And if you don't take it, it's going to close up and it's over. <clears throat> if I could tell you how many times I've, uh, I wish I could have learned that lesson before, you know, having to learn it. I would have, uh, yep. if I had a dollar for every time or whatever. <laughs> man, man, I, I can, <clears throat> I can sometimes see some of the, the workouts that I didn't take as seriously. I'm like, dang, I should have just did those squats. <laughs> like, I should have just did it, but I was busy, you know, being mad at my coach or, um, you know, dang, I should have just, I should have just applied for that internship, but I was so busy worrying about working out, um, you know, and, and the windows, like you said, they close up. And that's that. <laughs> so choose strike while the iron's hot, man. Strike while the iron's hot. It ain't going to be hot for long. So be all in, win or lose. It's worth right. it. Right. So okay. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, another one that uh, you said implicitly that I've I've kind of learned along the way is that uh, if you don't make a decision, one will be made for you. <laughs> Ooh, that's true. Like it that's very true. Yeah, that's very real. Okay, all right, I'm taking that one. I'm feeling that. Yeah. All right, last question: If uh, if God exists and you meet him at the pearly gates, uh, excuse me, pearl. Gates, I, I have to make that distinction. <laughs> I can explain that one if, if you want okay. later. All right. Um, if you see him at the Pearl Gates, what do you want to hear him say? Hmm. Dang. I want to hear him say, I want to hear him say, it's good to have you here. I hope you can make him feel as good up here as you did down there. I always, like I said, I always want to make people feel good. Um, no matter what I have on, if I'm rich or poor, if I'm shaved or, or not, and my beard looks raggedy, uh, if I can make people feel good about themselves and, and uplift people, then I think I'm doing my job uh, as far as being a human goes. Uh, so hopefully when I, you know, when I check out, if that is what's going down, then that's what I hear. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, man. I Thank you. Love your energy. I love the knowledge.